Welcome to Work Like a Witch. My name is Caitlin Matanley, business coach for the witches. Witches do business differently, and I'm here to help you make money like magic. If you're exhausted and bored by your business, it's just because you've forgotten who you are. After all, you aren't one of the normal people. You are a witch. Hey witches, welcome to Work Like a Witch. This is Caitlin Matanley and I'm so excited to be here. I am really excited to share my interview with you today. I'm interviewing Alexandra Roxo, who many of you know and love. But before that, I just wanted to pop in, see how you all are doing. We are leading up to the Halloween full moon and shit's been intense. Shit's been fucking intense. No, it has not just been you. Everyone is feeling it. Um, I'm not an astrologer, so I don't have any like official um, explanation why, but (laughs) you know, I think a lot of it, obviously even outside of the cosmos, there is a lot going on, you know, 2020 has been a thing it's really funny to me actually how it's October it's almost November and people are still saying like in all of my sessions in all of my programs people are like yeah you know I just feel like 2020 has been kind of weird I'm like what (laughs) by now I feel like we should have all accepted that 2020 has been an unprecedentedly yes I know that's not a word um majorly unexpected and intense year for all of us (laughs) and it's so funny to me that so many brilliant people still think it's just them it just goes to show the amount like the immense amount of pressure we put on ourselves and how even when there's a global pandemic and you know social justice uprisings and everything we don't really let up on that pressure we put ourselves under so kind of interesting. Um, I feel like at this point, it's almost passe to talk about 2020, but clearly it isn't because we're still all, you know, thinking it's just us, basically. So anyway, it's funny because I've been having so many of these conversations where people feel like they can't get what they want because life has been really stressful and things have been going wrong. And I mean, hell, like we're definitely heading into another wave of covid Hate to break it to you if you somehow haven't heard. <laughs> Plus, of course, the U.S. election is coming up. And I mean, even talking to friends, you know, I live in Mexico, but I'm a U.S. citizen and talking to friends who even aren't U.S. citizens, but who live in other countries have said that really like the world is kind of watching to see what happens. So that's been interesting to hear. So there's a lot going on, not just now, but honestly, always. It's just that now this year we have so much happening in the macrocosm that we can really just look at and put our fingers on. And the reality, though, is that honestly, I don't think that this year is actually more intense than the average year for the average person. I think it's just so common when things are just happening to us (laughs) or we think they're just happening to us in our lives to write it off as like a personal drama or, you know, whatever, when it's real shit. And my point here is that honestly, the cons- the one constant that you can count on is unpredictability, is moodiness, the anxiety that comes along with not knowing what's going to happen in the world, in your world. Put that on top of the other things that so many of us experience, you know, mental health issues. Um, obviously, if you have any marginalized identities you have just the general stress of existing in the world and we like I said write that stuff off and honestly the personal development industry and the sort of what I've grown to call the internet spiritual circus (laughs) like to sell us these so-called solutions These ideas that, you know, if we just focus on feeling good and we like 
do all these tools to get us out of our the depths of what we're feeling and make ourselves feel better so we can be a high vibe and attract what we want. It's interesting because it's so alluring. It's so alluring, especially to those of us, like I'm, I'll speak to only my own experience. As someone who experiences depression and clinical anxiety on a regular basis, it's like, it's so fucking alluring to feel or to be told that if I just focus on feeling good, everything will fall into place. And yeah, of course, when you feel good, life does feel easier in many ways. But what about the times you don't feel good? <laughs> because, you know, unless you're interested in bypassing your emotions, your the full scale of your emotions, the full range of human emotions, then you're going to have times when you feel bad. And maybe for some of you, you can just like, get yourself out of it, but I don't feel like I can very much of the time. And I've talked on this podcast before how back in March when like this, the global state of emergency, I'm not sure if that's what it was actually called, was declared, um, I just like I fucking lost it. And that was really surprising to me because I consider myself good in a crisis, especially because I'm a Capricorn. We're like known for it. (laughs) But really, I just had a lot of unresolved trauma from the past. And I found that that general feeling of insecurity, of a lack of safety, it just set off every old trauma response in my body that I had. And the results weren't pretty. (laughs) I did an episode about this. I don't remember how long ago, um, but it's something like the mindset shift I made during the pandemic or something that like changed everything. I don't know, something like that. (laughs) Y'all know who listened to the show. Like when I cite a episode, I never actually have thought in advance to like look it up and get you the actual title, but you can figure it out. But basically what happened is I I got to this place where I was like, I have to be able to be moody as fuck, hella anxious. I have to be a, I have to be able to be my normal moody ass bitch self and still make money and still grow my business and still be successful and still reach my goals and still keep my life moving. Because if I can't, if I have to, you know, feel good all the time, (laughs) I'm not going to make it. I can't. Like the pressure was too great. It was exhausting. And it's interesting because in my interview today with Alexandra Roxo, we talk about this idea, you know, about how spirituality isn't love and light because life isn't, you know, it's, there's, it's pain as well. And the more we tether our our results in our personal goals, or like if you think in terms of manifestation, our results of our manifestations, the more we tether that to our emotional states, the more we actually get imprisoned by them. So interesting because we're often sold that like we can free ourselves from our emotions by like feeling good all the time. And not everyone says it in those words, but it really is implied. And in, I, it's my opinion that even if that's not what people who speak on this, what they mean, to not really, really, really deeply address that that's how it sounds and that's what people are feeling pressure to do, I think is really irresponsible. You know, there's like what people say, but also how it's perceived. And while, yeah, on one hand, you're not fully responsible for how something is perceived by somebody else, when people are consistently perceiving it in a certain way, you have to start to look like the common denominator is you. It is your words. It is what you're sharing, what you're teaching. So anyway, um, I not just decided, because it wasn't just a mindset shift. It was also a change that happened to me energetically it happened in my body and it resulted in me suddenly moving forward on a lot of things that had been feeling really stagnant um I mean just looking at my business alone I doubled and then tripled and then quadrupled and I think now more than quadrupled by the end of this month my income from that point and it was interesting because it was like wow here I am I don't feel good most of the time 
and I'm making things happen still. And it wasn't because I was like forcing myself out of bed and forcing myself to be productive. No, that wasn't why at all. So I have a lot to say about this. And in fact, this Thursday, next Thursday, the 5th, I'm teaching a workshop about this called Moody as Fuck Manifestation. I hope you all join me. It's a one-day workshop. It's from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern on Thursday the 5th. And basically, I'm going to be sharing how when I dropped those toxic new age establishment beliefs of feeling good is your job, success comes from raising your vibration, feeling good attracts good things, you know, high vibes only, and accepted myself for the moody bitch I was, I started manifesting major shit fast as fuck. (laughs) And interestingly, I actually became happier. That's the twist. So anyway, I hope you join me in the workshop. If you're really just ready to try a different paradigm with manifestation, this is for you. And I will drop a link in the show notes, or you can just go to caitlinmatanley.com slash moody AF. I'll drop a link in the show notes, though, for you to join the workshop. I'm also doing a little short-term mastermind as an upgrade option. It's optional to add that on. If you just want some added support in a small group setting over the next four weeks, which are going to be intense, are going to bring up a lot of shit, and that do not have to get in the way of you manifesting your desires in a real way that is sustainable, that allows you to hold on to things And that doesn't require you to be high vibe all the time. It really just doesn't. So anyway, check that out. I am going to head over to the interview with Alexandra. Thank you all for listening. I will see you on the other side. Hello, my friends. Welcome to the show today. Today, I am here with a very special guest. I'm here with Alexandra Roxo, who, if you're not familiar... Alexandra Roxo is a writer, creator, and mentor. She has been featured on TV shows such as Slut Ever on Viceland, Sex Life on Epics, and international publications for her work as a writer speaking up about the modern feminine experience. She sees clients in one-on-one coaching and mentorship, leads retreats and groups, and also has an incredible monthly membership community called Radical Awakenings. Her ideas and stories have been featured in the New York Times, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, The Guardian, Nylon, Playboy, and many other international publications. But for those of you who are possibly new to her work, you may have discovered Alexandra via her first book, Fuck Like a Goddess, Heal Yourself, Reclaim Your Voice, Stand in Your Power, which debuted in July with publisher Sounds True. And if you haven't read the book yet, I highly recommend it. And you know, I... I take my book recommendations seriously, so we will be talking about the book today and so much more. Thank you so much for coming on the show today, Alexandra. Oh, you're so welcome. So happy to be here. (laughs) I am so excited to have you here. Thank you for joining us. So for those of the people in the audience or our listeners who have managed to get this far in life without ever having heard of you... Please introduce yourself. Tell us the story of how your work came to be. Mm. So, hi everybody! So nice to um, to have you all listening right in this moment, wherever you are around the world. So, I I basically have always been interested in the human experience and the female experience, and I've been what I would consider an artist since I was a young girl. You all will have to forgive the helicopters, airplanes, potentially fireworks and gunshots and all the things in my neighborhood. I didn't know when I moved in here that it would be such a lively place. (laughs) And it is. Um, So anyway, I've always, I've been an artist since I was a child and my um, art has varied over the years. When I was a small child, I was an actor and a dancer Um, I directed plays, then I went to college for acting, and I wrote and directed plays, and then I wrote and directed films, then I acted some more, and then I wrote some more films, and I wrote and produced and directed my first film when I was 23. Um, It premiered in New York City at a film festival, and it was bought by uh, a, a film production release company. Um, and it's now available on Amazon 
and that was a very long time ago, but that was my first kind of big endeavor. I had directed my first play when I was 20 in college and all of these pieces that that I've created in my life have been about what it's like to be a woman, what it's like to be a woman growing up in patriarchal religions that felt very oppressive or in um, kind of a overculture that felt like it didn't really love and accept women's bodies or women's spiritual powers. So I've started, I incorporated that into my work as a human at a young age and into my, into the way that I understood the world. So, you know, that was with photographs as well. I showed photos in galleries of women in nature naked and kind of draped on trees. And I, I actually did one of my photo shoots that I did when I was in my early twenties, super feminist art. I was like in a, I did a ritual, like, um, a ritual with Barbie dolls and I laid naked in a circle of all these Barbie dolls and in the woods and um, kind of like had this funeral for Barbie. <laughs> um, so I did a lot of art back then. It was pretty, pretty sexy um, and, it, it, and, and feminist and witchy and a lot of my, I mean, I would pick up dead birds and, and bury them and, and make art with them and um, anyway, my work has progressed since, um, <laughs> but after I made my first feature film that was called Mary Marie, and it was really about the virgin and the whore archetypes within the Christian kind of canon, and, um, and then I, yeah, I kept making films and documentaries. I made a web series about kind of modern spirituality and the commercialism of it and the, the kind of absurdity of it. And that was called Be Here Now-ish. And there's two seasons of that online. And most of this work you can experience online. Not all of my photos because I've never archived all of them, but my experimental films, um, the two seasons of my web show, my first feature film, um, the documentaries I did with Vice, and then in the last few years, um, I let's see, like sort of two months after I did my last film job, I got a book deal. So I was kind of like, okay, cool, this is going to be my next offering to the world. This is going to be a book. So I really consider myself first and foremost a writer and an artist, and I make art out of my life. <laughs> That's so beautiful. And one thing I really love about the journey you just took us on is how many facets of yourself you've shared with the world and in so many different ways. I really try to share different facets of my being with the world so that I don't ever kind of sit in one zone with people. Like you can see that I'm like, I mean, I did this IG live with my friend today. We're, we're both like, yeah, we're really bad girls sometimes. We're like pretty bad sometimes. And we're also good pretty good but only sometimes sometimes I'm a really perfectionist good girl so you know I just we don't fit into box <laughs> so everyone listening if you didn't know Alexandra Roxo is kind of a bad girl <laughs> yeah so speaking of being a bad girl or a good girl or any of these bullshit labels let's talk about your new book fuck like a goddess so I mean seeing as how there's fuck in the title you can't be too much of a good girl <laughs> I would love to know who you wrote this book for. Who was in mind when you were writing this book? Very, very good question. I think any modern woman who like didn't see herself mirrored in media or in religion or modern spiritual spaces, um, any woman who has felt like the overculture doesn't really hold her or foster her heart's unfolding for for the women who who defy boxes you know and 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 have lived passionately and and yet like are still have things that bother them and are still trying to make their way in the world and learn what what healing means and what sharing means and what sex means and what their relationships to god and nature mean and um but I think we can all find ourselves in, somewhere in there. So it's like everybody's in there somewhere, you know, everybody in, in some part of my book, whether it's the part about the body or sexuality or divinity or the voice, like it's for everybody <laughs> in some way, you know. I 
you know, I, I really appreciated the way you wrote this book, how I, I got, I really gathered from the beginning that this was a piece of writing done for anyone who's sort of, like you said, felt themselves left out of the feminine experience, you know, whether they're women identifying or not. And I really found that refreshing because I feel like so many of us, you know, whether we're women, whether we're not, it's like so many of us have sort of a fraught relationship with the feminine. And I found this book so refreshing because it really looked that straight in the face and kind of turned it on its head. I would, I'm really curious about what the experience of writing this book was like for you. Did you find that anything unexpected was excavated or healed in yourself during the process of writing this book? Oh, absolutely. You know, I think that anytime we make a piece of art or a show or a project or a poem, even we can heal parts of ourself. And so I always look at that as like, first and foremost, it's my experience for me. I think Elizabeth Gilbert talked about this in Big Magic. It's like, I could be wrong if it was her or somebody else, to be honest. But like that if you think, oh, I'm making this because I want to help everybody or I'm making this because this is what I know. I need to make this for me, for my heart. This is for me. If it, other people like it, sweet. If they don't, okay. But like the egoic notion that I'm going to make something that's going to help people and change them, all of that. So yeah, like... I think that, of course, things heal and things, pieces come together and pieces fall into place, you know, um, when we uh, create something, anytime we create something. So, yeah, tons of shit came up for me. It was a shamanic experience, to use that word in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way, which probably doesn't bode well for everyone. But let's say it was a cathartic experience, like a lot of catharsis during the writing process and a lot of stuff coming up. Yeah. And and some of which I cut out of the book, you know, I, I, uh, we had to trim some things. So some of the more traumatic life experiences didn't make it in there. And that's okay. That happens too. I think it's so interesting what you said about that catharsis kind of taking the place of this book or any creative piece needing to be for everybody because I agree that when you are so focused on what this is going to mean for the collective it's actually really easy I feel for it to become kind of empty honestly it's like in our in our quest to make it deep, it becomes kind of empty. And I actually really love that you focused on it as a healing process for yourself. And I think that comes out in the rawness of the writing. Mm. I was pleasantly surprised to see how deep your book was willing to go into the shadows. I mean, you brought up a lot of topics like systems of oppression, healing from trauma, sexual kink, so many more that honestly, a lot of spiritual teachers try to love and light away, mm. which is not what I'm about and definitely not what we're about on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So you know, this may be the first time that some of the readers or the listeners are, are really encountering this duality expressed in such an open way. So can you explain to the listeners what they can expect to what, what they can expect when they begin this integration of duality in their own experience in their own work um i mean life is pain and suffering and beauty healing existing is both like shadow work to me is a big laugh because everything every every human you walk down the street you have a shadow in the ground right and the closest you are i guess to the source of light the longer the shadow so anyone who tries to separate that is like um I don't understand. It's, it doesn't it doesn't make sense to me. Um, it's like it doesn't just I, I, I don't compute it. Um, people who are like, oh, I don't want to do shadow work. I'm like, are you living on this planet? Like, how come you get to opt out of the human suffering experience, but everyone else doesn't? That's called denial and avoidance. And um, so, yeah. My book just talked about the human experience, you know, like most women have hated their bodies at some point. Most women have been gone through some sort of a sexually non-consensual experience at some point. Most women have received the programming that they're not good enough or they're not pretty enough and they're not thin enough. Like this isn't, 
this isn't just like, oh, you know, only a few of us got that. No, it's a collective, it's a collective uh, conditioning and it's a collective overculture. Um, and what happens in terms of if you're looking at a Jungian definition of shadow, shadow not just being stuff that's uncomfortable, but a Jungian definition of shadow, which would be like related to the unconscious, the, the things that kind of that get pushed down and they're and this is perhaps not the most perfect definition, but the thing, the unconscious is the part of us, the part of our psyche or the part of our mind that we don't have access to. So we don't really know what's there. You know, the way I described it earlier today was like, if you leave the bathroom with like, like, like a gross, dirty toilet paper stuck to your shoe (laughs) and you walk around with that toilet paper for 20 years or 30 years, and no one told you because you're, you're unconscious of it. You can't see it until you become conscious of it. So for some people that might be perfectionism or for some people that might be um, self-doubt or for some people that might be low self-esteem or whatever. But they're, until you're conscious of it and you become conscious, oh my God, like I've been trailing around this Thing that's been causing me suffering but it wasn't conscious of why it was causing me suffering so then you read a book like mine or you go to a class or you do a ceremony or something like that and you're literally asking for things to you're asking to see the toilet paper that's stuck to your shoe so that maybe 20 years don't pass or maybe they still do you know most people when the, the deep patterns and their being Um, they usually do take time. They might be from other lifetimes if you believe in that kind of thing. But so, yeah, when people say they're like, oh, I'm going to opt out of shadow work, like, or, or, oh, that's deep. It's like, no, guys, come on. Our our whole world is built on, on, on murder and violence and genocide and colonization and sex trafficking and collective debt. And, you know, I'm not trying to be like a pessimist, but like, uh how come you get to opt out (laughs) right (laughs) so i mean there's there's equal beauty right like the agony and the ecstasy and the joy and the suffering are are equal and if we didn't have the suffering on this planet we probably wouldn't understand what joy is right because there'd be no point of reference um so yeah but i think i i mean bless the sweethearts that are afraid still to accept that or look at that, you know, all in a good time, I think, you know, but you know, the time seems to be now. (laughs) I agree. You know, like you said, it's, it's not like some of us just get to opt out of this and we've all experienced suffering and it's affected us and it's stored in the body. And that's something you talk about a lot in your work. You talk about embodiment and you know, to me, the the embodiment, the physical piece of this work is something that's really missing from a lot of so-called new age thought. You know, there's, I, I feel like we can do all the affirmations in the world, but if we're still holding trauma responses in our nervous systems, they're going to run the show. So how, what's your perspective on that? I mean, how do you define embodiment and how do you use that as part of your own practice to really integrate these shadows and release the hold they have on you? I mean, we can loosen the grip, I think. Um, but I don't know if those, the, okay, let's, well, let me take it back. So we all have experiences that create imprints in our being, in our heart and our nervous system and our body. They actually, you know, create I think that one of my fave teachers he says we the self is a set of habits and patterns right so if you really were to to define yourself who are you you're really just a set of habits and patterns based on the reality around you right like how you interact with the world like you are what else are you essentially um I am girl I am quiet I am this your dear it's all based on those habits and patterns um that so they create this self of you and yes those pieces can can be shifted if they're causing you suffering the thing is is that we come from this western mind that thinks that we can just fix things and make them go away and uh i think that the true sort of growth place with a lot of our patterns of suffering 
isn't around just like a fix it. It's around um, allowing that pattern of suffering to teach you something and then it moves, it changes. But the pattern of suffering doesn't go away until you've actually gotten the lesson from it. So if you have pain around rejection or abandonment or shame, it's not until you have felt that shame enough um, and that you and you've sat with it enough that it shifts and that you get the gift of that from that shame. What the problem with the kind of modern Western mindset is like, well, let me just fix it. And if I do this thing, I'll fix it and it'll go away. Well, it's actually not going to go away if you haven't gotten the full lesson from it. So that's kind of like a spiritual materialistic approach, right? It's like, how can I get, how can I get away from this? How can I, you know, get rid of this, um, which is our Western mind. When, if we allow for whatever pattern exists in our nervous system, say I was like beaten as a child and now I have this pattern where I like sort of, you know, go into vigilance or shrink or something like that. Doing a few breath works is not going to change that likely. To be honest, it will loosen the pattern. It will loosen the response between you and that pattern. But there's something there for you in your soul's unfolding or your karmic unfolding. And that, I don't know what it is. And only you will know one day, oh my God, now I, I understand why I had to go through that deep, deep suffering and why it created this this pattern of me being afraid to trust people. And here's why. But honestly, I have, I've done, you know, years and years of therapy and plant medicine, all this stuff. The, the traumas don't go away. <laughs> the relationship to them changes. But the patterns in your nervous system that have been created from 20 years, they don't go away in one year. <laughs> they don't. But your relationship to them changes. You stop trying to fix it and fight it. You you know, someone beautiful wrote this, and it's a very David Data teaching. You learn how to dance with a limp. You don't you don't try to sit and fix the broken leg for 40 years. You get up and you fucking learn how to dance with the limp. And that's what his work is all about. You make art out of it. So the modern, oh, I'm going to fix this thing about me and I'm going to go to, I mean, I have fallen into that trap so many times. So I will gladly speak about, please don't write a poem, write a book, write a play, do some, make a, sing a song about your pain, but don't sit and try to get rid of it for 20 years. (laughs) So true. (laughs) You know, it's, I think it's really easy for us to mistake that just like letting that that grip kind of letting loose for it disappearing completely because when we're so used to every reaction and every thought around certain situations or people or relationships or whatever being kind of wrapped up with the pain sometimes even just feeling that little bit of space can almost feel like it's being healed <laughs> and i think it's such a it's a humbling reminder that you've given that's yes like enjoy that space and feel into it and also don't feel like you need it in order to continue on the healing journey if that makes sense yeah yeah exactly something you know I took your class um embodying your feminine fire a few years ago and I remember something that you said in that class that I've repeated this so many times since to so many different people. And you talk about as you're going through the embodiment practices that you taught in that class and that you teach in the book as well. And you are really these practices of creating that space, creating that breathing room. You said, you know, while it's important, and I'm obviously paraphrasing, when while it's important to, you know, recognize what's coming up and deal with it as needed, There's also, on the other hand, we don't need to be obsessed with figuring out the reason why. You talked about crying specifically, and I remember you said that you have a million reasons to cry. (laughs) You know, it's not just often this one thing that gets stored in the body. It's layers and layers and layers and years of, you know, disappointment and shame and pain. Yeah, and we get obsessed with wanting to know everything. (laughs) Right. 
well, for you, what's, I mean, is there a line, is there a clear line between, you know, when do I need to kind of deep dive and figure out the origin so I can face it and deal with it versus when do I need to just feel the feeling that's come up and allow it to move through me and release it even? Hmm. I mean, it's a moment-to-moment discernment. I think that um, you have to feel in your body, like, am I running away from whatever this is by, like, not um, wanting to hear what it's about, you know? Or am I, like, picking, picking at a scab, picking some more, picking some more? Everybody's different depending on your tendencies, you know? Some people are avoiders. (laughs) They, like, don't want to, um, you know, they don't want to, look at the thing so they would rather not go oh my god I'm finally crying about um my little sister dying you know finally but some people want to know and they're like obsessed with knowing perfectionism in a way of like I need to know why 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 which is the mind the knowing 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 so it's just different for everybody you know I like to know why so I need to say girl relax you don't always need to know why <laughs> it's like a means of control you know it's, exactly. like, it's a means of I mean I don't know if you relate to this I'm a hella controlling person <laughs> I mean I'm not so much anymore I don't think but you could ask my friends and they might go mm-hmm. no, I don't know <laughs> yeah I mean I've definitely I'm, I'm less controlling now for sure but it's been in, it's interesting you know doing this work and recognizing how that that need for control shows up in these little ways you know that need like you described mm-hmm. of just needing an explanation needing to know the root because then we can get rid of it right <laughs> you know but it's not yeah. That simple yeah no i hear you i think the more likely we err on the side of controlling in general so that's a better way to put it that feels more that feels more empowering like knowing which side you err on not necessarily which side you permanently exist in yeah and it's just like if surrendering feels like more of an edge to you then try that your book it was such a refreshing invitation for all of us to return to this sort of wild feminine nature and you know I really I see that wildness in nature you know and it's not it isn't necessarily gendered Mm -hmm. it's this spark of creation that we all can embody and I'm thinking about this a lot lately because you know a lot of us are stuck indoors (laughs) we're spending more time than ever indoors I know I am and there have been times over the past you know six months that I've felt really trapped and domesticated in a way I didn't like and I found that really beautiful about, you know, the practices that you're introducing in this book, that they are things that you can do at home to tap into that wildness within, that wildness that sometimes it's easy for us to equate with, you know, external experiences and, you know, wild travel and doing things outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with that in mind, what are your, some of your personal ways that you like to sort of rewild yourself, especially now when you may be stuck indoors more than normal? I mean, it's not super fun to be like an animal in a cage. <laughs> right. I'm not going to lie about that. I'm not going to try to glamorize that. But, um, and I don't mean that, like if anyone's spent time in a cage, I'm so sorry, but, um, you know, uh, we've all probably had pets that we've put in cages at some point or another. So I definitely have seen that it's mm. not fun. And sometimes a tiny apartment can feel like that. Like I lived in a 200 square foot apartment at some point that was tight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I know there's plenty of people right now who are in that, you know, who are in that zone and um, bless everybody's heart who is in a really small space especially with family and a lot of people and all of that so um I mean indoor rewilding you can dance you can do practices where you breathe and you moan and you groan and you you dance and you know you can go into the space of imagination and you can do journey work and trance work and visual work and you can do dream work and you can psychically go into the wild spaces in your dreams and you can watch movies where you uh, see yourself where you're like underwater with sharks and octopus and 
you know, all of these places in the imagination. You can close your eyes and listen to music of Norway or Brazil or Japan. You know, I, I during this quarantine, I've done all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I've gone to Japan. I've gone to Brazil. I've gone to uh, Greece. I've, you know, had crazy dreams that I've fell, fallen into and I you know, done all those things. I've swam with sharks. So, you know, you do all this, you use your imagination, you know, hello. That's what people have been doing for thousands of years. So, yeah, that's one thing. And like, just not looking at a screen out of like, just habit. So you can do all that in your imagination and you can do that in in your dream space and in your visual space. And then I don't care where you are, how rich or poor you are, but everyone has access to some nature. Like nature abounds. And even in these COVID times, even in cities, there are places where you can find nature, where you can get on a little bus or a little train. And you can get on the little bus or the little train and go 30 minutes out of the city. And I guarantee you, you can find on a map where there's a stream or a creek or a waterfall or a lake. And you can go put your water, body in the water and your life will change. You keep going back to that same tree or that same body of water or that same mountain or that same flower. And that changes your relationship to nature. You go lay outside when it's raining. And you lay in the rain or, you know, you walk barefoot in the rain. And, you know, these things you can do, COVID or no COVID. Like, you can, anyone can can find themselves some little pocket of nature. This might be just you and your little pots of, you know, herbs on your fire escape. Sure, okay, that's you and your little nature. But I think some people are so afraid to, like, go do that. Get on the bus for an hour, you know, put your mask on. And then go wander around in some woods and take off your clothes and get in the stream. You know, oh my God, that's too scary. I'm not doing that. We've lost touch with that part of ourselves. You know, I used to just go wander around in the woods alone all the time, find streams, get naked, take photos. And I still do that now. This summer, I've swam naked in a lot of streams. And it's not, I, they're everywhere. <laughs> they're everywhere doesn't matter what city you're in you can find something i guarantee you one of my favorite ways to get in touch with nature on a really small level is i live in like a huge building in a definitely in a part of the city here in mexico city that's not very green at all but i love right now it's it's thunderstorm season so mm. I'll, I'll open my window and i'll sit like on the ledge mm. and just feel the and and the like sprinkles of water come in i guess it's my gemini rising the air gemini so rising feel- too. oh wow <laughs> it just feels so invigorating mm. you know and it's just that decision that actually we are part of nature mm. and nature is around us and it's you know definitely something we can seek and it's something that's here and it's so easy to forget that because many of us humans feel like we are sort of an exception to nature in some way. Yeah, so true. Oh, that's so yummy. Mexico City is so magical. I love it there. Yes, I... You know, I, I say I'm like sitting on my veranda. I don't actually have a balcony, but it's, you know, just feeling that outdoorsness, even in a concrete jungle. It's, you know, we're still breathing in air. We're still... You know, I've got a couple, I'm staring at a plant right now. It's not doing so well, but it is nature, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, And you can, you can go to so many places close by, right? Outside of Mexico City. Yeah. You know, even just a few weeks ago, traveling to sort of the southernmost part of the city, almost out of the city and just being amongst pine trees, especially for me, I'm from the mid-Atlantic in the U.S. and there's you know well, tons of pine trees, <laughs> just regular old forests, you know, and and just kind of being in that atmosphere and breathing in the air, it was really refreshing, even if just mm. for an hour or two, you know? Mm. Yes. So, so good. good. <laughs> I'm curious, is there anything that you see people get wrong on their spiritual journeys? Maybe it's something that you sort of got wrong, or maybe a better way to frame it isn't that we got it wrong, but that we were misled by something. Mm. 
Well, I think that the piece that I said before, you know, it's like we're supposed to fix ourselves. But there's something wrong with us. There's nothing wrong with us. And I've believed it too, so it's kind of a bummer. There's nothing wrong with us, you know. We can create lives with less suffering and more joy, and we can do deep work and investigation and contemplation and excavation. Did I say excavation? No, I don't know. <laughs> Did I say ex excavation twice? Um, but like that there's nothing wrong with us that we're awesome. And that part of the human experience is being like this, um, you know, kind of snowflake or being that like Japanese, Japanese cracked, um, pottery that's been woven back together with gold so you know spirituality isn't love and light spirituality is everything it's literally acknowledging that we didn't create ourselves we did not create ourselves and we don't know where we're going after so spirituality is the notion that there's something bigger than us and an honoring hey there's something bigger than me and I guess they didn't make a mistake in creating me. And maybe it's like just the nature of consciousness that created me or whatever. But um, I'm sure I'm not a mistake. <laughs> so I might have some soul lessons, but like there's nothing wrong with me. You know, these are my soul lessons. Great. There's no mistake. You know, that the lions eat zebras. There's no mistake. You know, the trees grow from a seed. There's no mistake. So... My neighbor's dog, Luna, is agreeing. She's barking always. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, you know, the spirituality, like, it includes everything. If we really look at spirit as being this sort of mist, right, that weaves us all together, the life force that makes, animates the tree, that animates me, right, the spirit right? Spirituality, the spirit in everything. So we're all opting into this belief together. Ooh, there's a spirit. There's like this, this thread of something between everything here. So why would that thread be dropped in some places and not others? Why would that thread have forgotten to thread its way through some places and not others? If you truly believe that there's a spirit that has sort of, we don't have to look at it as anthropomorphized, we don't have to look at it as a human kind of iteration, but if some sort of a spirit has created this whole reality and perhaps others, then there's just no mistakes here. That would be weird, you know? <laughs> it's all part of the soul lesson. So, you know, the notion of spirituality, ask yourself, what does it mean to be spiritual? Am I talking about just being a good person? Am I talking about healing? Well, that's very different than honoring a, a thread that weaves together all of existence that we have no idea why and how it is. And putting the surrendered notion of knowing and going, wow, I'm a spiritual person because I believe in the unseen. I believe in something that I can't understand. I believe in something that's bigger than me. I believe that there's rhyme and reason to this existence. So that's very different than I trying to be a good person and I think people you know and this is just my definition but I think people get that kind of um confused so you know I think asking yourself what is it what does spirituality mean for me just honoring that there's a thread that a golden thread that's invisible that you know connects all of us or you know I don't know what does it mean for you mm. I well I absolutely agree about the you know, there not being anything wrong with us. And for me, that is really integral to my own perceptions of spirituality, because mm -hmm. I think it's just so interesting. Um, I'm going to use that word instead of one that's more judgmental. But <laughs> I think it's so interesting that this industry has developed that is really that really profits off of us thinking there's something wrong with us. Yeah. And that has advertised itself as a remedy to mm -hmm. the dominant culture, which makes us also feel like something is wrong with us. Mm -hmm. And for me, spirituality is the, you know, radical act of deciding that's not true and deciding that 
we actually get to exist in a completely different paradigm, one that mm-hmm. operates on the rules of the spirit rather than the rules of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alexandra, thank you so much for joining me today. Before we close out, I would love for you to share with all of the listeners where they can find more about you, where they can find your book, and what else you have coming up on the horizon for us. So you can find me on Instagram at Alexandra Roxo, R-O-X-O. And um, my book, Fuck Like a Goddess, is out with Sounds True, the publisher, Sounds True. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can ask for it at many local stores. You can get it on IndieBound. So there's many different options for everybody. Um, it's, yeah, it's like an, it's a, a, a radical, messy, wild woman's spiritual guide, you know, um, and stories and, and funny little anecdotes and experiences as well in that book. Um, and yeah, I don't have anything else coming up. I have a membership where we kind of get together and we share writing and visions and inspirations and, um, it's called Radical Awakenings, and I haven't been posting on that Instagram for a hot minute because we're taking a little break, but that's just at, at Radical Awakenings. And you can get on my newsletter, and I'll let you know when that membership opens up again for, for people to sign up if you, if you want to come on board and come play with us. So, yeah, that's about it. Fantastic. And I will include all of the links in the show notes. So if you are listening, feel free to click on the show notes. And get all of the details on how you can contact Alexandra and get involved in her work as well. Yeah, so good. So good to to be here. Thank you again. Thank you for tuning in to Work Like a Witch. If you loved the show, be sure to leave me a review on iTunes to spread the word. Talk to you next Friday.